I live in Israel. This season is dedicated to the memory of the 1,400 of my countrymen who were massacred on October 7th, and the 240 people that were kidnapped and are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas. Hopefully they will be returned to their families as soon as possible, and hopefully this terrible war will be able to come to a peaceful end very soon. Twelve of season six of Move Around Minute, the daily podcast where we take a Capra-esque journey through the 1946 classic "It's a Wonderful Life," one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again is David Brooke of Blueprint Review. Welcome back to the show, David. Hello, glad to be back talking about an old favorite of mine. Yeah, just just don't hurt my sore ear again. <laughs> Episode twelve begins with George tr- George trying to explain to Gower what really happened and ends with Clarence once again showing his simple-mindedness. So we ended things yesterday with uh, George getting a beating from Mr. Gower and George complaining, uh, not that you shouldn't be hitting me, but that you're hurting my sore ear. That's pretty much what he's doing. And, and you know, finally, at the end of yesterday's episode, George was trying to defend himself by explaining to Mr. Gower what's going on. He started saying, Mr. Gower, you don't know. And he continues to do with, saying what you're doing. So basically it says, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. I know you're unhappy. You got the telegram and you're upset. You put something bad in those capsules. It wasn't your fault, Mr. Gower. Just look and see what you did. The bottle you took the powder from, it's poison. I tell you, it's poison. I know you feel bad. And, you know, it's 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 great that, that you know, things things are happening as George is, is talking. He's explaining to, to Mr. Gower what's going on. You know, once again, as we discussed yesterday, everything is being shot through the, the shelves. So we can see a lot of the, the, the various, uh, uh, I guess, medicines or uh, ingredients that are used in the drug drugstore. I mean, the, the, the one that really stood out for me is sulfuric acid. Did, did you see that there's sulfur there? Oh, yeah, I didn't spot that. And, and I tried figuring out, like, what is it used for? Did do you have any idea? Oh, I don't know. My chemistry studies are a long way behind me. <laughs> oh, mine are too. That's, that's why I have Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, basically, it's, it's used for, for to fertilize crops. It can be used in uh, fungicides or pesticides, which uh, makes it uh, somewhat uh, dangerous if you have too much of it, which, again, is one of the things that we talked about last week, the idea that, that uh, you know, like, why would – a druggist have poison there because sometimes you need a little bit of poison to do something. It's not enough, uh, enough poison. You know, if, if the, the, the capsule has a little bit of poison in it, it could be doing some sort of, uh, you know, it could be helping medically, but it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily going to kill you if you have in small doses. I mean, I, I, I brought this up last week also, but a few years ago, I, I went to some, I went to a doctor and I needed, medicine and he he gave me medicine and before you can even take this medicine you have to get a blood test and they check like your i think they checked like the my liver levels before and then you know every i think it was every month before he would give me another prescription i had to go and get my another blood test just to make sure that the 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 medicine wasn't affecting you know wasn't poisoning my liver because it basically was poison 
but it's right. it, you know, it the the idea is that the poison is supposed to help with something else. It it did help with what it needed to help with in the end for me. So you know, I can't complain about that. But but it it explains why in certain circumstances you would give someone, uh, I guess, mild doses of poison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because whenever I saw this movie, I was I was always floored about the fact that why is he giving drugs? You know, why is he giving poison in the drugs and stuff like mm-hmm. that? And now I understand it much better. <laughs> well, there does seem to be a shop that sells a few different bits and pieces. It's like you've got the um, ice cream and stuff like that. So maybe it could be just rat poison or whatever to go. I, although you'd have thought he'd store it somewhere different. But <laughs> no, but this is the back room. This is the, the you know where he has the ingredients. Yeah, the for, medicine. Yeah, for the medicines and stuff like that. You know, true, it's not true, in the front. True. It's not next. It's not right next to the soda shop. You know, no, no. it's like, <laughs> would you like some poison in your uh, root beer? Yeah. yeah, but uh, um, unless it's a, unless it's an actually unless it's actually a sequel to Arsenic and Old Lace, <laughs> he's knocking off old lace in the in his spare true. time. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> I mean, uh, sulfur can also be used uh, in many pharmaceutical skin prop products uh, to try and treat acne and things like that. And it can kill bacteria and fungus and scabies and mites and other types of parasites. So again, it's it's not something that you necessarily would want to have a lot of, <laughs> but maybe you know maybe it could be you know helpful. It's they're actually sulfur is even used in batteries these days for rechargeable batteries. Mm. Yeah. Put it together with lithium and stuff like that in order to you know the you know using sulfur in it has helped keep things you know the 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 the, you know longer lasting uh recharge cycles and stuff like that so yeah that's just uh, an an interesting uh, little tidbit about that and you know as as he's doing this so we see that that you know gower is starting to somewhat sober up and listen to him and you know he's saying to himself okay maybe george is Maybe there's something here, <laughs> you know, and, you know, George is crying as he's, he's, I mean, the performance here is amazing. Yeah. You know, I mean, at, uh, if, if I remember correctly, you know, the, the, the actor here, uh, Robert J. Anderson plays the, the, the younger version of, uh, of, of George. Right. And he, he was, he was 13 at the or. He was 12 or 13 when they filmed this because uh, he was born in 1933. He passed away in 2008. He was actually, he was the production manager on Demolition Man and Passenger 57. <laughs> wow. He has, 20, he has 26 credits as a production manager, 24 as an actor, and he was a producer on seven, in seven films. You know, but, yeah, it's just, uh, it, yeah, it's not a bad job. I mean, some of the, you could argue some of the line deliveries that are uh, uh, have a slightly kind of kind of delivered sort of sound, but uh, I think emotionally he sells it. Um, but yeah, but H.P. Warner's was the uh, key player in this scene for me. I think he's fantastic. Yeah, a lot of the movements as well, like when the um, the kind of change, the change in temperament. So he's, he's he's angry at the start, and like he snatches the pills away at first. Um, so he's still got that angry side going, and it kind of gradually changes it as he starts to right. realize what he's done. That's right, and it's and I love the fact that he takes, done. he takes out a pill and he opens it, and what does he do to see if it's poison? He tastes it. Tastes it, <laughs> which you know it, it reminds me of, like you see in movies, you know, you know when 
when uh, people are testing drugs and things like yeah. that, you know, they, they, they taste it either, whether, whether it's a cop or whether it's sometimes, you know, they're doing a drug deal or something like that, they taste it <laughs> yeah. and they know the taste. So, okay. You know, does that mean that, that, that he knows the various tastes of poison? Like he's going to, you know, taste this and he's going to go, Oh, that's poison. Or is it the idea that this isn't the way that this medicine should taste? Yeah, you know, which, know. You, you'd have thought he'd spit it out after tasting it. <laughs> but yeah. Well, maybe at this point he wants to die, but that, that's a separate issue. Uh, yeah, true, true, true. You know, then, then he would have taken a lot more. But you see the, you see the realization come over his face. Mm. Uh, you know, as he's, you know, he like takes a little, uh, uh, he takes a little bit of a taste of the, the drug and then he realizes, wow, wait a second. <laughs> and we Maybe. get a, we get a, <laughs> we get a close up for that key moment so you can really see in his eyes the moment of realization which That's is right. a, and then he starts nice. shaking and you know he moves towards George with his hands apart as if you know he either is about to go strangle him or hug him mm. you know and he, he and George backs away Back to try up, to yeah. get as far away from him as possible and he goes don't don't hurt my sore ear again don't hurt my sore ear again and he goes oh no 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 and he, he's Mr. Gower starts crying and he goes, Oh, George, George. And, you know, he begins to hug George as he's doing this. And George realizes that, you know, this is something that no one can ever find out about. Mm. And just by George volunteering the fact that, you know, his, his next line is, is George basically says, Oh, Mr. Gower, I won't ever tell anybody. I know how you're feeling. I won't ever tell a soul. Hope to die, I won't. Mm. And Mr. Gower goes, oh, George, George. And, you know, it says so much about, about George's personality that yeah. even at this point, he's willing to keep that. I mean, I don't know if I could keep a secret like that. I would have told somebody, mm. you know, but, you know, over the next uh, 30-something years of this movie, he doesn't say anything to anybody. Mm. You know, he's able to, and, you know, as we talked about uh, yesterday, Mary might know about this, but nobody mm. else ever finds out. No. And, uh, you know, that, that's a very big, you know, I, I, we talked a little bit about this uh, last week, but, but the, the idea here is, is that, you know, that must be really, really dangerous for, for, for pharmacists, you know, that they, they need to be so careful about the, um, the, the exact amounts that they give people and stuff like mm -hmm. that, that, you know, we, you know, if, you know, in, in the, the, uh, back to the future reality at the end of this movie, you know, I, I love the fact that that's what they did in back to the future. You know, for me, it's just <laughs> great to, to use that. Um, and, and anyone who's hearing me say this, I'm going to be saying it quite often throughout the rest of this movie because it's, <laughs> it's, it's a perfect example of what, you know, of a parallel universe that is created where, when somebody, when something is changed. Yeah. You know, they, they just do a really good job of that. And, you know, and just like they do here. Here, it's it's just for a few minutes. In Back to the Future 2, it's a little longer, but it still works really well. And the the, the whole idea here is is that in that in those scenes, so they say that that you know Gower was a child killer. Uh, you know, for maybe I, I think he might even mention that it was for manslaughter that he went to jail and then he got out of jail and he became a drunk and you know he's the guy everyone's making fun of in town. You know, mm -hmm. so. You know, George George really uh, saved him. There's no question about that here. 
There's a nice little push in at the end of that shot as well, where you because we've been behind these bottles for ages and they, it's nicely blocked. Like they find this spot and the camera comes just between the bottles. It uh, emphasizes the kind of importance of that moment. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, it brings us closer to them through those, you know, through, yeah. through the shelves where the two of them yeah. are, are hugging as George is basically saying to him, don't worry, I'm never going to tell anybody about this. This is yeah. our secret. Mm-hmm. You know, don't worry about it. And once again, we have a nice fade out. And then, you know, the, the scene fades in again, and we see a completely different character. Uh, we, we don't know who this person is, if, you're, if you've never seen this movie. All right. um, and, you know, it's, it's a character named Joe, played by uh, an actor named Ray Walker, who was born in 1904 and passed away in 1980. He has astounding, an astounding amount of IMDb credits. He has 274 credits. Wow. I mean, obviously, most of them are small parts, like in this movie, um, but but still, you know. And his his real his full full his birth name is uh, Warner Reynolds Walker, which I can understand why he would change it to Ray Walker. <laughs> and we we see in the back the the name of or part of the name of the store at the beginning. It's the Boston Co. Something, right? And uh, you know, as the the the, the scene moves along, we actually can see that it's the Boston Co. suit, uh, sorry, Boston Co. suitcases, and then underneath it says, and sporting goods. So this this is not, because like my first question was, is why does Bedford Falls need a luggage shop? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a small town in, you know, upstate New York, <laughs> I'm assuming people do go on vacations and people do need it, but I don't know if you need a shop solely for uh, luggage. So it, it's it's nice that they would they would have a dual purpose of the for this uh, uh, for the shop where it's also a sporting goods shop at the same time. Yeah, sporting goods. <laughs> you'd have thought you'd have thought sporting goods might come before suitcases in this kind of town, but <laughs> I guess maybe not. That's true. Also, it's a good point. Popular. Yeah, no, I, I didn't even think about that. Sporting goods stores, when you know, are, are basically they're they're not as you know as so the, the sporting goods stores that we know of today is not what they have here in the movie. You know, this is basically a you know a store that that sells luggage and also has some sporting goods. But I don't think it's the same thing as like when you go to uh, Champion or or uh, you know all the different uh, what what. Are the, Decathlon, I think, is the name of a big store. Decathlon's a European one, yeah. Yeah. So when, when do you think, like, uh, when, when did Decathlon start uh, opening the, the, the chain? Do you know? Decathlon. Oh, Decathlon. Um, Decathlon is, is the world's largest sporting good uh, chain. Wow. Um, oh, maybe the 60s? I don't know. 1976. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it uh, and since then, how many stores do you think they have? Oh, they're all over. I, I see them all over the all over the world. Um, oh, I don't know, maybe I don't know, five hundred. <laughs> there are seventeen hundred stores. Seventeen hundred uh, located in over thirty countries, uh, sixty countries. Wow. Um, you know, they they the. The, the number used to actually be larger, but uh, due to the global financial crisis, 
during uh, you know 2007 2008 so a lot of the stores uh, closed up and uh, obviously during during covid they also had trouble and and closed up a bunch of their stores another store is uh, Dick's Sporting Goods in in the US where they would actually they they let people have in-store experiences they would have like putting greens and uh, yoga classes and rock climbing and batting cages you know things in the store itself to try and get people to 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 come into the to these stores so yeah it's very very interesting and basically you know joe starts talking and you know we 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 hear him say an overnight bag genuine english cowhide combination lock fitting up with brushes combs and so my first question is is okay why do you need brushes and combs or why does george need them <laughs> in a suitcase you know you're buying a suitcase you're not buying a uh a horse you're not buying i don't know <laughs> well hairbrush but yeah yeah no it's just uh it was, it's just a very strange comment you know that, that he's talking about all the different things that they have there and, you know, I understand why he would say, you know, genuine English cowhide, you know, talking about the different types of leather and stuff like that, that it has a combination lock, but that it's fitted with brushes and combs. You know, <laughs> that's not necessarily what's going to sell, you know, a piece of luggage. <laughs> or maybe maybe back in the 40s, or this is actually, this is in the 1920s. So maybe back then it, it is possible. Uh, I don't know. We'll f we'll find out later this week the actual maybe, date maybe. of what year this is taking place. Do you have, do you have any guess at this point? What what uh, what year this takes place? Oh, oh, what happens in there? I think it's before. Um, when does they get off the wall? I think I think on Thursday I, we'll find out because uh, they they ha they 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 give us a, we get to see a newspaper article that tells mm -hmm. us what is what is actually going on. We actually even know the exact date. Of when this is taking place, which is which is amazing that that wow. they were able to do that, you know. But I'm not going to tell you what it is at this point. But I just wanted to see if you have a guess. I'd guess kind of. Well, the I mean, the original part, the 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 thing in the drugstore took place in 1919. 1919. Okay. Yeah, just to give you an idea. Oh, so I might be thinking later on there. I'm trying to think the order of when things happen. Um, I was going to say like 38, but it might well. Mm, maybe he obviously looks older than I think he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be younger, isn't he? At this point, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's probably supposed to be like 35, 34. What, 1934, 1935, or he's supposed to be 34, 35? No, 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 1934, 1934. Mm. All right, well, we just have to gonna hold on and, and wait until uh, I think Thursday to find out exactly what that is. Mm. Um, and he mentions here, Joe also mentions the fact of a combination lock. You know, yeah. which uh, basically it's, you know, it's a locking device that you have sequences of symbols, uh, which are usually numbers that are used to open the lock. And you have to enter them, you know, using a, uh, there's like a rotating dial uh, inside. It, I, it's actually very cool. I, I found a diagram that shows how it works. And I never even thought about it. You know, that, that uh, you know, you have a, it, within the cylinder on the inside, you have like a groove. That that will you know that that's where the the inner 
piece of the lock will will move up and that's by that particular number you know if you're twisting it around and stuff like that so that the, the key will then fit in or you know they'll be able to open it exactly the way it is so i just thought that was really really cool that's cool. That. What I find even cooler is that ones because you, um, you can quite often change the combination yourself or set the combination yourself. So I always wonder how that's done because I, I, I've always kind of understood how it works on a basic level, but to be able to reset it, oh, I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't know. The mind, don't, I don't know about that stuff. When, when do you? It looks. That's right. When when do you think the earliest known combination lock was uh, was? I guess you could say invented. Oh, I'd probably say it'd be a Victorian thing, maybe 18, 1880s, maybe. They actually found one. They 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 found one from a Roman period tomb. Wow! In Athens, where there was a small box that had several dials inside, uh, several dials instead of keyholes that were used. And then uh, in twelve oh six, the Muslim engineer Al Jazari. Uh, you wrote a book and explained, you know, how a combination lock uh, would work, and they they actually have found uh, combination locks that that were one of them is in Copenhagen and another one's in a Boston museum, you know, from from that uh, period. So yeah, it's just really cool that it goes the back of that 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 far. You know, it's not something you necessarily would think of. Yeah, you know, and then uh, the 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 first viable single dial combination lock was patented in uh, 1910 by the American Lock Company. And then uh, you know the, you have multiple dial locks. That those are the type of do- locks that we were talking about, which uh, you know people use on uh, bicycles or briefcases or suitcases and things like that. You know, where it's just a question of of getting the 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 numbers. So you know that that's something that, uh, that 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 that's become very popular mm-hmm. because they're I guess they're they're simpler to 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 make. So yeah, yeah. Save you having to remember a key or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, quite handy. I don't know. I th- I I don't know. I think key is is better, but I don't know. I mean, we but had yeah, we had a case key, of key key's always. I was gonna say keys always seem sturdier, like a, a safer option. I guess just for ease of use and for anyone who loses keys regularly, <laughs> it makes sense. Right. I mean, we I, actually I, had. I, a... I, sorry, I'd never want a combination lock on anything super important, though. I guess, but I think for like they're brilliant for for me. I always think of a combination lock as being most useful. Is if you go to the gym and you, you have the ones that you put on the little lockers because mm-hmm. it just saves faffing around and carrying a key with around with you if you're going to the gym. But yeah. Right. I mean, we, we had an incident, uh, I guess it was about three months ago, where we, we couldn't find the key to our shed. And uh, we were sure that one of our sons had, had actually used it like a week and a half before. And we asked him and he didn't know where it was. He says he put it back where it was supposed to go and we couldn't find the key. And we didn't know where the spare key was. And we ended up having to get a locksmith come to break the, the, the padlock in order for us to be able to get into the shed. And <laughs> last week, my son said, "Hey, look what I found in my pair of pants that was in the closet." And we were like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> oh yeah, I've had that happen before. Yeah, and uh, you know, we 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 were sure back then that it, that it was him, but you know, we we he said it wasn't him, so we we believed him. <laughs> Maybe we should have gone through every single one of those uh, 
there's a panther <laughs> in, in his closet. You know, but oh well. <laughs> and you know, George is not interested in this, and he goes, no, 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 nope, 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 nope. Now look, Joe. Now look, I want a big one. And he like holds his hands out as if he's like uh, trying to capture a big fish, or he had just gotten, you know, uh, he just caught a big fish or something like that. And you know, and then they they do a great freeze frame here. You know, we we get to yeah. see uh, Jimmy Stewart, you know, frozen in time. And then we hear Clarence's voice say, "What did you stop it for?" And then Joseph says, "I want you to take a good look at that face." Who is it? George Bailey. Oh, you mean? So again, it's this is more for us, but I, I don't like the way that they're portraying Clarence in because they're doing it this way. I don't think he's. I mean, the first week uh, we talked a little bit about the fact that they sort of were belittling uh, Clarence's intelligence. But come on, he's he's being told the story and then uh you know jumps to something else. You think that he's going to be able to figure out that that when you're stopping it on somebody, so that must be George. Yeah, you know, so it's spelling things out a bit too much. Yeah, yeah. Said, although it's it's quite a nice little moment with the freeze frame and them talking about the freeze frame. It is, it's, yeah. it's 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 a nice early example of kind of a reflexivity postmodernism in um, in film. Although I'm sure there are plenty more. Yeah, but it's also, you you know, we were talking yesterday about the, you know, the technical aspects of making a movie back in the Mm. 40s as opposed to making them today, you know, with the wipes. But it's the same idea here. You know, this is also something that I guess was somewhat groundbreaking at the time that they're able to to stop mid-frame, keep the frame on us, you know, uh, keep the frame frozen and then have the, you know, insert the dialogue over that. With the two characters talking, yeah, and it's a, it's a technique people still use now. This, you get a lot of these kind of quirky indie movies and things doing freeze frames and a caption or some sort of. Um, I try to think of uh, Zombieland, like Zombieland does that sometimes, yeah. doesn't it? It's got the freeze frames and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, um, it's uh, so it's 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 still going strong. And, yeah, uh, it's hard to think of anything earlier than that. There, there may be, but um, I'd have to have a think. I'm assuming there were, but but what it comes down to is is that uh, it's probably much easier to do today than it was back then. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Just a click of a click of a button, it's so easy. Yeah. That's right. And uh, so that's pretty much uh, everything I have to say about this minute. You have anything else for this minute before we get into today's segment? Uh, no, not really. I, as, as I mentioned, I think it's a nice. The end is. Well, I've talked about the first section already really but the yeah it's a nice little fun intro to to jimmy stewart i kind of like the way he's introduced now it's a bit more of a light-hearted fun introduction to the character so um yeah works for me it's a nice yeah. little moment okay great so every tuesday we have a segment called off the beaten track uh, uplifting experience edition where my guests will give some sort of story anecdote adventure misadventure or something has happened to them over the course of their life or some sort of story that they can tell us that was somewhat of an uplifting experience for them or someone maybe they know or something like that. So, David, you got a story for us? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's, it's not a mega anecdote, really. I think it's more, um, I struggled with this a little bit, to be honest. Uh, less anecdotey, but more just just feel-good general kind of things that have happened. But, yeah, my, um, a, I guess it must be nine months ago or so or something like that, Um 
or maybe less but anyway yeah it was around about just after christmas i guess uh my mum and dad have taken in a ukrainian family um that um because they were uh they were looking for places to house a lot of the people the uh, refugees coming out of the country and uh yeah my mum and dad have put them up in their house for quite a few months and i think for me in an uplifting story that i've well, not really sorry, but something uplifting that I've experienced is is seeing how people kind of came to help and support them. It was crazy that like they came to live in mum and dad's kind of little village in in Yorkshire, and they'd just got so many people coming up and giving them um, clothes and giving them toys because they were they had a there's a young daughter and a kind of teenage son and they were bringing them everything they needed. It was just crazy, and and they're um they're just about almost at the end of their kind of uh, period of staying with mum and dads, and then they they have to kind of find their own place, and uh, but they they've um they're going to move they're going to stay in the area and get their own house, uh, but from then as well, like uh, one of my one of our family friends has um has basically donated an entire house worth of furniture. Oh uh, wow! Because they, they they were getting with I think they're um. I think one of their mothers had, or father had died, and uh, and they had all the spare furniture, and they're just giving it to this Ukrainian family to to. So it's um it has been very touching to see, uh, people rally together and do all they can to to help these guys who've had to move away from the home and move to a foreign country where they don't speak the language and they're kind of living there now. So it's uh that has been that has been very very moving. Oh wow! Yeah. How, how did your parents communicate with them if they don't speak the language? Well, they've had they they just Google Translate mobile phones. Yeah, yeah they've got. <laughs> uh, well, they use a different one. I think it's it's very similar to Google Translate. I can't remember. I think it's called Say Hi. I think it's something like that, uh, where it does kind of live translations. Uh, you speak into it and it, it translates for you. It's not perfect. We've come across some unusual, um, <laughs> some unusual translations, which have caused much amusement. Uh, but yeah, and also the uh, the son. He's he's about sixteen, I think. Um, his English, he had a bit of English. Uh, he could speak a little. Uh, and and since living in England, he and his do- his, his sister, sorry, um, his sister's uh, eight, I think. And uh, since they've been in English schools, they've been really picking up the language. And uh, and their their mom has been learning has learned a little bit um, as she's getting better. So it's taken time. But yeah, the first the initial couple of months, it was just <laughs> purely doing the telephone, which is very weird. Well, that makes it sound like something out of science fiction, you know, where you have the, uh, what, is, yeah. what is it in Star Trek, you have the Universal Translator? Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So the, the Universal Translator in, uh, you know, in, in the Brook household. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, that is great. Thank you for that, that uplifting and inspiring story, Dave. Uh, thank, thank your parents for, <laughs> for, for, for taking them in. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Exactly. All right. So you want to once again tell people uh, where they can find David Brook? Yeah. So I write over at blueprintreview.co.uk where I review lots of classic indie world cinema, any anything that takes my fancy, really, um, usually on shiny discs. Shiny discs are good. <laughs> and finding me is very simple. Just do a quick uh, search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. And you can find me on my website, movearoundminute.com. So 
Until tomorrow, hot dog. Hot dog. I love you truly, truly Life with its sorrow, life with its tears.